Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You're going to listen to an interview with Tekla Teunus and Gijs Boers of Grounded. We're going to talk about the challenges you face when you work with large groups of farmers, but also the enormous opportunities this brings and how to work with business cases that come out of the work with farmers instead of very strict 10-year planning. The huge opportunities that you have at the moment in local processing in Africa and what these opportunities mean for impact investors. It really means that you'll be able to pay farmers for regenerative agriculture. Doing this, it's essential to find the right local crop mix. And to find this mix, you need to listen to farmers. They know what could work well on their land, even if they're not growing that at the moment because they are in a much more short-term mindset. If you get them to think long-term and you get them the incentives to do that, you unlock a huge opportunity locally to introduce and maintain regenerative agriculture. Enjoy! Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture. Investing as if the planet mattered podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! Welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Agriculture as if the Planet Mattered. I'm Koen van Seijen, the host of today. In the podcast today, I'm talking to Teek Lateunus and Gijs Boers, co-founders of Grounded, an organization working with large groups of farmers in Southern Africa to develop business cases to bring agriculture back into balance. And of course, we're going to ask what balance means. Welcome, Teek and Gijs. Yeah, thank you, Koen. Thanks, Koen. So to dive in with it immediately, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, I guess that's probably a personal story for both of us. Um, for me... I have been working in um, corporate strategy for a couple of years. And at some point I went on a cycling trip in Asia. So I cycled through China and Laos and Vietnam. And if you're on your bicycle, most of the time you're cycling either through nature or through agricultural land. And it struck me to see that a lot of these um, agricultural systems that I saw, even though I didn't know much about agriculture seem to be e either really um, extractive, so not very sustainable in the long run, or 
um, underperforming. So it seemed like they could actually up their production quite a bit in the case of um, a lot of smallholder farmers. So then I actually couldn't sleep for a couple of nights because I thought there has to be a business opportunity in this where you can make the land more healthy and also turn it into more profit for the farmers. So that is when I decided to um, go into this field and try to find people who actually knew something about agriculture and ecosystems, which I then did. And it led to ultimately the establishment of this company. But I think Gijs has a, also probably <laughs> a very interesting story to tell. <laughs> well, when I was a child, I always say, you know, once I get successful, I want to have a farm. Because as a child, I always did some side jobs on farms and farms in the neighborhood where I was born. Neither my parents or grandparents from both sides were farmers. So I have no idea where it comes from. But I always somehow liked their mentality and their internal, in, 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 their everlasting optimism. So I studied finance and uh, my, after my first job, I got the luxury to do something that I wanted and to do some traveling. So I decided to visit farms all around the world because I thought, yeah, why wait until I'm uh, done working? Why not make it my profession? So I started visiting farms in Brazil, US, Eastern Europe. Uh, it's very easy because all around the world are Dutch farmers and quite successful farmers. So uh, slowly I began to learn more and more about agriculture. And one day I found myself working in Zambria uh, for an organization that said, guys, can you go check up there? There's a, a lot of farmers there. We had some successful programs um, and they went, uh, they did do some maize farming and they do that better now, but we believe there's more to it and we want to do, we want to invest in those farmers. And so I'm walking to the Zambian forests and that's where I meet uh, Tekla. And uh, we started discussions together and from one day to another, we f I find myself working with Tekla on the ground. And uh, I think our visions were, were quite similar at the time. And so by pursuing the things that I want, I finally um, were, have my agricultural job, some sort of say. You finally ended up on a farm. Yeah. And, and what is grounded? I think it's the name is relatively new. Can you... Tell a bit more about the background, the, the vision, the theory of change, and uh, why this name. Yeah, why this name is because we really focus on partnering with farmers. We believe that the problem of degraded land is caused um, primarily by, or that's not a belief, it's actually a fact, it's pri primarily caused by unsustainable farming practices. And we don't think that that is something which you can necessarily uh, blame the farmers for. So we shouldn't see them as a problem. We should see the farmers actually as part of the solution. Um, so what we do is we build very strong partnerships with farmers and develop businesses together with them um, so we can help them to farm more profitably and more sustainably and in doing so regenerate um, degraded land. And because we work in sub-Saharan Africa, it's actually quite difficult to invest in uh, large scale in land. 
So, because that would be a model to do this, right? If you wanted to um, restore degraded land, you can just buy large pieces of land and then control everything yourself. But we think that in this particular context, that's probably not the best intervention model. Um, and so we have been looking for something which, on the one hand, allows us to get to scale and on the other hand, um, creates an impact. And that is why we focus on the establishment of processing companies which enable us to process high-value crops that we produce together with the farmers on the landscape, um, thereby allowing the farmers to capture more value in, in the value chain um, and at the same time create something which is um, investable also for um, larger impact investors which are interested in the space. Um, and that also, of course, allows us to get to scale because these processing companies then process crops which are produced in a sustainable and regenerative manner. And, and when you look at a um, um, concrete example of this, um, wh which one would you pick from your, your fastly growing portfolio as a, as a perfect example or almost perfect example of this, uh, this method and this uh, theory of change? For instance, the first project which we did was um, in actually in collaboration with Common Land, um, a big um, landscape restoration NGO, and Living Lands, a South African NGO, and a group of farmers in the Bovianskloof in South Africa, which is a very remote area where the big problem was overgrazing because of decades of goat farming. Um, so the farmers used to have goats, but the goats have eaten most of the natural vegetation in that area. So the productivity of the land is going down while their input costs are increasing. So together with the farmers um, and with our partner organization, we started on a journey to identify alternative ways of farming. And eventually that has led to the establishment of an essential oils company. So we're currently growing herbs like lavender and rosemary, and we're starting to add some indigenous herbs as well. And then we established a processing company in the area together with the farmers that's processing the herbs into oils. And those oils are, of course, very durable. They're super high value. They're, they're compact. So it's easy to transport them out of a remote area. And they're sold into the cosmetics industry. And the farmers who sign up to this company also commit to a holistic management plan for their farm, which means that they will reduce the number of goats on their land to make it more sustainable so it's no longer further degrading uh, the land and instead actually they make land available for restoration. So we've also formed a partnership with a large beverage company um, who was active downstream to actually plant a lot of trees on these degraded hillsides now that the farmers are taking off their goats. So I think that is a really tangible example of how this model could work. And we're now busy in other areas as well. Um, we're working in Zambia, Madagascar, and another area in South Africa um, to see if we can replicate this um, model, albeit in a different form, because every landscape is different, of course. Our friends at Planetary Evergreen Impact Ventures are looking for a fund director and a senior investment manager. And you get to work with friend of the show, Thomas Hogenhaven. Listen to our conversation with Thomas below. 
and find out more on the positions at planetary.dk. That's planetary delta kilo. And, and that's what you mean when you say bringing agriculture back into balance. Yeah, what we mean by that is that it's actually, I think it's two things. It's on the one hand, on the ground, bringing agricultural practices back into balance with nature. So instead of kind of literally slashing all the nature out of an area and making it into a complete controlled environment, which is also sometimes less resilient to change and in particular in the areas where we work which are very sensitive to for instance climate change we don't think that that is necessarily always the best model um, so bringing agriculture in balance with nature rather than fighting against it and at the same time bringing the agricultural value chain back into balance so sharing more of the value which get captured up in the value chain, for instance, in processing and marketing with the farmers. So the farmers also get a much higher percentage of the final end product than they do typically. And we believe if you do that, then you also enable the farmers to actually make the changes which are needed on their land. Because if they are absolutely cash stripped, which is often the case with the farmers we work with, they sometimes say to us like, yeah, we understand that this is not the best way and it's also not good for our children. Um, but what do we do? There's no other way because we just have to survive um, from today until tomorrow. So if we can create a little bit more space in the system, we can actually enable people to be like proper custodians of the land and make it better for their children than it is now. And and if you look at your your daily practice, basically, I mean, you just changed the name of uh, of the company, but of course, you've been doing this for a while. If you look back one year ago, so that would be February or the the end of January two thousand sixteen until now, what has changed uh, in the company and in the, your immediate surrounding when you look at regenerative agriculture? Um. Yeah. So. A lot has changed in our company, um, although we're still running around. So I guess that's the <laughs> that's the constant factor. Um, but a year ago from now, um, we were just establishing um, the first lavender crops with the farmers in the Bavians Clove. We were just establishing the company together with them. Everything was new and. Also, it was basically just me in the company. Um, and where we've come now is we've grown the team quite a bit. We have people working in all these different projects, as I mentioned. And in our first company that we established, the one in the Bavians Clove, we've actually produced the first oil, which was, of course, a really nice moment, actually just recently in January. Um, so it smells really nice now. Uh, the lavender um, had flowers. And um, yeah, I think also a big change there is that the farmers are now really taking ownership of this company um, and working really hard together with us to, to make it into a success. So we've formed a real team, I think, together with the farmers. And that is what we're working to establish now in other projects as well. So I think it's super exciting. Yeah. And... I think I now hear six months and 
what's really difficult is if you want to do sustainable farming and regenerative farming, um, it changes from place to place and from location to location. The context differs a lot throughout, even within nations in Africa, the differences are huge. Um, and what we have developed last year, especially last half year, is to find a way to come into an area and to try to start from scratch and to make go as, efficient, as efficiently as possible through different steps, through a different approach, to end up with a totally new strategy and a way of working that's specifically suited for that area. And that's one of the main challenges. But we believe that um, by looking at, by going through a, diff, through a process and do a specific approach and working together with farmers, really looking into um, the agronomic or the nature, natural boundaries, and maybe even more important, the social boundaries of a project, that going through that phase, we can end up in every place with a good strategy. Almost like there are a number of impact investors who do place-based investing, meaning that they mostly invest in, in their region, which of course is different in every region because it depends what the, ne the necessities are and what is, is necessary to do in that region. And, and you're saying almost it's place-based agriculture, really looking at what the, 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 the landscape can, can handle, what it needs and both the landscape itself, meaning the soil, the waterways, the, the ecosystems, etc., and of course the people working, living, and, and owning the land on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And so that is also why it's so important to work really closely together with the farmers, because often they have a lot of knowledge about what can grow there and what could be successful crops, even though they're sometimes not growing them at the moment for several reasons, because they don't have the capital to establish them or they don't have the markets. Um, and yeah, we believe that if we can partner with them to find the right crops which are suitable for the climate, you can create a much more resilient system. Yeah, I would even say anti-fragile actually. Probably you create a an agriculture system that, that is sometimes especially if you look at other systems like neighboring systems is probably when when there are climate shocks it's um, suffering the least or maybe even benefiting because you are building such a strong soil perspective it's a very interesting perspective compared to um, an, an earlier interview we did with Tony Lovell of, of SLM in Australia where of course you have the opportunity to buy enormous pieces of land from one owner and and basically can do whatever you want on that or you can build your whole system as exactly as you want it but of course in many places or most places in the world there are many small farmers smaller farmers many places many people that own different pieces of land and and assist you need a social system to bring them all together under one shared future because otherwise it's bound to fail from the beginning yeah exactly and I think you also need an economic trigger and that is what we try to create by focusing on these high value crops that we process on the landscape. So it becomes really attractive for the farmers or it should become really attractive for the farmers to um, participate in these companies because it, it allows them 
um, to create more value from their land on an annual basis. So it decreases their risk and it increases their profits. And, and when you look at this specific project in, in South Africa and the Bavians Clove, can you share a bit of, of a few numbers? Like how many farms and farmers are we talking about? How many hectares? What, what, what's the number of goats that's going down? How much lavender are you actually able to produce? And how much oil does come out of that? Just to have a bit of a feel about the scale we're talking about. Um, yeah, so we're working there. We started with only four farmers. Um, and these are very large farms because it's extensive goat farming that they're doing there. Um, so the average farm size is about 4,000 hectare in that area, most of which is not arable, most of which is mountain land, which is grazed by these goats. And so the total area that um, we're bringing under improved management currently is around 28,000 hectare. And the total area which we're actively restoring by planting trees is around one and a half thousand hectare. So those are millions of trees which are being brought back into the, into the natural land where the goats have been removed. And then in terms of how much... Um, how many herbs we're establishing. Um, we're almost finished planting 100 hectare of um, essential oil crops, so that, that's both lavender and rosemary. And um, we think we have the potential to expand to about 250 hectare still. Um, but already with this size, we are one of the biggest producers of these essential oils in South Africa. Um, so the size of the product project is um, considerable. Do you want to learn how to invest? Or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. No, extremely interesting. And and um, if you look one year from now, what would be what what would have changed, or what do you think has changed? Of course, it's difficult to look in the future, and and for sure also a year from now. But what are you working on that you think will have changed if we talk again February next year? Yeah. So. It's, it's different for all of our um, projects. So in general, we hope to have made a lot of progress on, on all the projects that we're working in. Um, for the Bavians Club area specifically, what we're currently busy with is to see how we can grow the company and in particular, how we can also bring the bigger communities into the, um, into the company. Um, so this is an area in South Africa where there's a lot of um, so-called historically disadvantaged South Africans. So we're currently busy implementing a large-scale empowerment plan to get all of them involved, um, or not all of them, the ones who are interested, involved in becoming producers into the company as well. Um, and I guess for the other projects, Gijs can also explain a little bit. The goal for this year is to, again, set up some small value chains, um, in Zambia, we start this year with 20 farmers that uh, were locally uh, were selected by a local uh, trainer. 
Um, so you always need some pioneering farmers because it's very important to be successful in the beginning to uh, attract more farmers later on. So uh, we want to successfully plant some new crops and to create a mixture of crops um, that we can grow, that we can grow in a sustainable, regenerative way and that we can sell. So there's a lot of steps uh, to be done and, of course, process as well. Um, we have uh, agronomists on the team and we are quite sure we have, we, we're very close to having a good mixture there. So next week we sit together with the farmers and uh, we discuss some potential challenges, uh, etc. And from there on we start the process. So we start planting uh, uh, this year and we're making a processing facility this year. Um, another project as well in the, in the Langloof where we um, where we have a findable species that can um, promote or restore degraded findables. It's a, it's a, it's the natural vegetation in a large part of the Western Cape and the Eastern Cape, um, and we we can use that tree actually to restore land. It's a, a native tree, and it's. A very high value tree it's called honeybush produced uh, used as a um, to produce honeybush tea uh, which is healthy nutritious and now completely harvested in the wild and a, a lot of it is illegally harvested is poached in an unsustainable way and and we have a lot of farmers there that are really interested to grow it and learn to grow it and also um, to set up these these value chains because now a lot of the value sticks with middlemen and stick in between where if you can do the processing yourself and only buy sustainable and sell to the end consumer you'll be able to give the farmers a fair share and even in this specific scenario you can give them such a high share that the very sustainable practices like bringing best back fibers uh, look very attractive at, at this point where we are now in the project. For those two uh, projects, we, we really believe that this year we can uh, set up those value chains also because we've, we've done it before and we have quite far down the line with, um, and that's always is something that you should not underestimate. It's for us, it's very important to get that relation with the farmers. And that's something in the beginning that takes a lot of time. And that now goes very well in that project. And for, so that's why we believe uh, for this year um, on that specific projects, that's uh, where we will be at the end of this year. And when you look at, you, you just mentioned and touched upon uh, working with farmers, what do you see as, as or what do you've noticed in, in your experience as the, the biggest challenges and also the biggest opportunities of working with farmers, especially in, in degraded land? Well, the thing is, Tekla already mentioned it a bit as well. It, it starts with listening very well. Farmers have a lot of local knowledge and one of the strange things for me as a European, for example, to understand is that for in, in Zambia, there are very good markets for a lot of crops. Almost everything is imported. I, coming from a finance angle, you know, always thought, okay, we need to sell to Europe, high value markets, easy to sell. You know, we know a lot of people there. But it turned out, and the farmers pointed me to that, that the local markets are huge. And the local prices are often better than in Europe. And 
that is something that you only learn by by listening to farmers and you know now it's just us doing a lot of talking but most of our job is just to be very sensitive to what they say and later on you can see for example bill gates once mentioned you know if i would have been a farmer i would have do chicken farming in africa because the average price of a chicken is five dollars you know who would believe that and actually it is like that because uh, one of the people i've met there does chicken farming himself and he sells his chicken for four or five dollars so there's something strange going on that you have very good local prices and local markets but it is just one out of many examples. And often, um, the second is maybe also very interesting. Uh, a lot of the farms indicated in Zambia that their stable crop used to be sorghum and that they stopped with that because the government promoted maize. So they gave cheap maize seeds and they bought maize. But uh, after years of drought, and the drought has been going on for three years in a row now, um, you know, they, the older people were saying, you know, back in the days, the sorghum never let us down. So last year we handed out uh, sorghum seeds to 200 farmers and we wanted to, to make some microfinance scheme of it. So they, they need to give us back, they needed to pay us back in bags of sorghum. However, the drought was so enormous that all the maize filled and the only crop survived was the sorghum crop. So it was actually, I didn't do anything than just following their advice. So I got to the, to the, to the donors of the project. I said, can you give me um, uh, six or $7,000 to, to get the seeds to the farmers? And that was, was the only crop that returned something to them. So in the end, the donors decided to not get back the sorghum from the farmers because it was the only thing they had. And it was not my knowledge, not agronomic knowledge. It was just the older people who said that it was sorghum that was the main crop until 20 years ago. And you see that just a small mixture, so doing and maize and sorghum, which is far from the regenerative ideal scenario, but can also has a big impact. Yeah, and I think maybe if I can add to that in terms of like to go back to your question, Kuhn, on um, what are some of the challenges we're facing. <clears throat> so obviously one of the biggest um, challenges for us is that a lot of the farmers we work with, um, like I already mentioned earlier, are under severe cash flow pressures or financial pressure in general. So it means that um, if they make a change, in their current system they're also taking a risk so if it if it fails then they have an even bigger problem than they have now so that puts quite a lot of pressure um, on um, us as well as the farmers to make these uh, these things work and I think in addition a big challenge is I think in any agricultural um, system, but what we're seeing here now, especially with, for instance, in this um, in this time period with El Nino and climate change having devastating effects, this part of the world, there's like the worst drought in South Africa in I think since they started recording. It's just the climate conditions that we need to um, work with, which put a lot of extra pressure on the farmers as well as on our um, systems. Yeah, sure. No, I think that, that 
the shocks from climate become even worse and and for sure i mean in europe we notice it but it's very different if your land is already degraded and you're already suffering from a few degrees um, rise in temperature of course you're much more vulnerable to to even the smallest shock in in the system and and if you look at what have you been working on in the last few months that that really got you up at night because it was was tricky or difficult or very exciting um, I mean I think I think you already mentioned it a bit but maybe you can tell a bit more about um, the the first harvest and the first oil you made how does that work and how did it make you feel after many years of of starting this project and working with these farmers and, and not knowing that you were going to grow lavender with them? Yeah, um, that's a good question indeed. If you would have told me four years ago that I would be involved in a lavender company, I would have probably laughed. But um, indeed, um, yeah, it was exciting. Of course, we had a lot of challenges in the beginning, right? Because this was a new crop and we're also doing it organic and none of the farmers had been farming organic before so to transition from a conventional to an organic system is quite a challenge because there's a lot of things that you actually need to have in place to make an organic system resilient such as cover crops and things like that and all of these were new to um, the farmers that we were working with plus it was a new crop so we, some of the plants that we planted died. Then we had an outbreak of a pest on one of the farms where none of the experts that we spoke with in the industry or in South Africa had ever seen this particular pest attacking rosemary plants, but it did. Um, so that was a massive setback. Um, but in the end, um, we actually managed to get quite an okay um, harvest and indeed to process it into oil. So the processing facility is now almost finished, but we managed to improvise something in the meantime while it was not finished yet. <laughs> so a lot of it is just like on the spot um, improvisation. And that is also something which the farmers are really good at. So um, they actually took complete lead um, on this process and yeah it's just really nice to um, have the first oil and now people are also starting to think about what they can make with the oil um, and because of course you can make soap or shampoo or like air spray or whatever so we're starting to experiment a little bit with that and um, yeah I guess it was a massive inspiration for the entire project to be able to produce this first oil because it's actually giving us hope that this can actually work um, even though we have still a lot to learn yeah yeah we believe the answer lie in looking for the correct crop in the correct envi environment you know, and a lot of people would say, no, well, stick to the maize, stick to the, stick to the, to the goats, stick, to, we know they're familiar with it and, and use something straightforward. And then we also try to process it, uh, you know, well, why would you process it? And I think um, everybody is also looking, you know, the bigger, the, the bigger the scale, the more profit you make, whereas actually a lot of the, a lot of the products that's come out of the land, you can process them on a very small scale, quite efficiently. And especially in Africa, where production, uh, sorry, transportation costs are so high, um, uh, processing things locally really, really adds up. 
um, in addition, you know, all the produce in Zambia, the prices are so high. So, but it's on all these different things. You know, we work with farmers in Africa. Uh, we involve them. Um, we work with large groups. And on every of these topics, you have to convince everybody and nobody, you know, agrees. So wherever you come, um, it's 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 a lot of explaining and with new partners. You know, we try to involve everybody. We try to bring everybody together. And that means um, to communicate that throughout all the different stakeholders and partners that's that often requires a lot of work and and some restless sleeps in the, during the night yeah i can imagine yeah but i think maybe if i can add something positive also on the result of following that strategy is for instance now i already told you that we're in a very hectic drought in south africa the farmers in the bavianskov are saying that they've never experienced something like this before But with the new system that we've introduced, they are actually using more than 10 times less water than they did um, before. And some of the farmers even say that they think that if they would have been in their old system still, they would not have been able to continue running their farm. But because the crops we established are really drought tolerant, it actually um, works for them. So I think it actually shows that there's a real benefit in choosing the right crops which are suitable for the environment yeah no definitely i think it came at the, the right time for for some or hopefully many of these farmers and when you look at uh, because you mentioned at the beginning um, these processing companies or the local processing companies could be interesting or are interesting actually to impact investors how are you looking at that and at what stage uh, do you think these companies become interesting for, for impact investors and how should they get involved um, in, in this process? Well, actually, um, you see that now I'm generalizing, but there's a lot of processing uh, capacity lacking throughout maybe entire Africa, but especially sub-Saharan Africa. Everything is imported, as said before. So there's a huge potential for that. I think um, and we believe that um, what you should do and what we, what our approach is, is to try and start as quick as possible and try to start at a small scale and from there on learn your lessons, quickly adapt to situations and scale from up there. So even though the best business cases on paper are to build up a big processing facility, Things are not as easy as they may seem, especially not in these areas. It's hard to make sure you get a constant supply of inputs through your processing line and uh, to, to get it to the market. However, uh, if you want to, you can prove you got something and you got something running and people see it, farmers see it and experience it, then you have a totally new vibe of things. And then, you know, once it starts working, everybody more and more people want to join and it's it's if you want to have an impact in africa you can and you do the processing you can compensate farms or give them good prices for crops they grow in a sustainable way and that link i think is is crucial because now a lot of the inefficiencies are in that value chain and by taking control of that value chain as an impact investor 
you can really have an impact on the farmers themselves. And I think what we are doing is, you know, we see the, the, the cultivation side and the processing side as, as almost as one, one organization. On paper, they might be apart, but if you can connect those two links, um, your impact is, is, is huge. You know, the farmers know they have a market. And the thing is about getting the risk out of the farming system. And by, by getting farmers a good price and lowering their risk, they, for the first time, are enabled to make long-term decisions. And we believe that the regenerative agriculture is all about long-term. And, and, and the, short-term, the short-term vision that sometimes farmers are forced to have, that is, that is where, where a lot goes wrong. So if you want to have both an impact and a good financial return, because... If you look to the value chain, a lot of the value is created within that processing. I think processing offers a huge opportunity to both re- financial returns and impact returns. I don't think there's a better way to, to end this interview than with that statement. I, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for sharing this knowledge. I think it's very interesting to see uh, almost an emerging uh, an, an emerging structure or a structure of em- seeing which business cases come out and, and being very um, lean and, and looking at minimum viable products and, and modular, which we always do, of course, in software, but seeing that into, into the old field of agriculture, it makes it very interesting. And I think it's the only way of, of seeing if something sticks and, and um, expanding on that instead of a very strict plan 10-year plans we're going to do this this and this and this because at the end uh, nature always comes uh, and and for instance does climate change and El Nino together so thank you for f- both for your time here and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is not the last time we'll be checking in uh, with your progress um, and your processes a lot of uh, good luck in the next uh, months and uh, um, hopefully there will be many more um, products you didn't expect coming out of these processes, but that provide a good return to the farmers and uh, restore a lot of land. Yeah, thank you very much, Kun. It's yeah. nice to talk to you. Thanks a lot. You just listened to an interview with Gijs Boers and Tekla Teunis of Grounded. We talked about the huge opportunity of local processing and what it can mean for the regenerative agriculture movement, especially in Southern Africa. I hope you enjoyed it and come back soon for more of these conversations. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.